runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 900 with guest Dana Epp. Recorded Friday, September 15th, 2023. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. And today is episode 900. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing this entirely too much. Thought we'd have a little bit of a celebratory show and maybe some retrospectives Going back the last 100 shows, so between 800 and 900, I thought I'd do it with a friend of mine, Dana Epp. Hey, my friend. Congratulations. 900, that's a big milestone. Yeah, you know, these come up every two years, oddly enough. Something about doing it every week. Um, there you go. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like this is a lot of shows. And it is interesting to look. I just went through the list of shows between 800 and 900 and said, hey, where are we going on this? Because I feel like this is more of a retrospective time. Mm. Yeah. It's actually interesting. You have so many data points with 900 shows now that I bet you if we were to look over the history over like almost five years now of, you know, that side of it, or I guess 10 years since every two years, um, the trends would be very interesting to see what was the big things at each yeah. 100. And I will bet you will find, obviously, the, the buzzwords of the days will come in. Security will always be throughout. Oh, That's then never I have a job. Yeah, yeah. But the reality <laughs> is, is how that security is used and how IT is managed and where it's managed. And, you know, we're now moving into a world of uh, AI ops and everything else that's on there. It's like, you, you got to wonder. It's like, where we'll be in the next two years sure. when you get to 1,000, right? You know, here's an example. There's an example of that in Run As, which is the SQL Q&A shows I did for SQL Intersection for almost 10 years, twice a year, because we'd always have a spring show and a fall show. And at the end of SQL Intersection, they would have bring all the attendees that were in on the data tracks together. And it's like, what didn't we answer? You know, what did you miss? Any questions you want a clarification on? They'd have all of the speakers there. And that's usually a bunch of Microsoft folks as well as industry. And I'd record it as a run as, which is just a fun way to do it. And of course, I'd end up doing the mic running too to get each of the listener, or each of the attendees so that they'd be on the recording. But I found out a, a few years in, it became required listening for the SQL team. Oh, nice. Because you got this story arc of what are they talking about. And so I went back and listened to a few of them. And you can tell when the DBAs started taking cloud seriously. Like the conversation mm -hmm. changed. Yeah. You know, initially it was just like, hey, we're on-prem, we'll be on-prem for forever. Actually, even funnier than that, before that was, I'll never virtualize a SQL server. You can virtualize other stuff, but it's dumb to virtualize SQL server. And then that, <laughs> that passes, right? And then it's like, oh, I'm not going to the cloud. That's not a thing. And then it's like, okay, well, what if we did this load in the cloud? And what about this thing in the cloud? And how do you deal with this in the cloud? And bit by bit, like you really do see that story arc. That's awesome. Of course, if you're going to go all the way back. It's like, hey, did you really start a sysadmin podcast when Vista shipped? Is that what you did? Is that a good idea? <laughs> oh, well, that's, uh, yes. No, that's, no, no so if anything, run as will be that archive of how IT has changed. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see over the next 10 years is if you keep doing it that long, that, uh, you know, how will that IT continue to change? And oh, it's always funny though. Anytime you think about it, there's lots of new whiz bang technology and there's lots that's always going on, but 
there is so much just typical regular IT hygiene that we still talk about years <laughs> later. And we still, hey, still patch your stuff, you know, yeah. still stay up to date, you know, still properly maintain and manage it. Configuration management matters. You yeah. know, it's like, but but in the end, the, the, hopefully technology will not be the panacea. It's not the ni- next biggest thing that's going to solve it. It's that it will help you make it easier to do those things. Wait, if you want to speak big story arcs and security, friend, are we finally getting over the password? I mean, after all this time? No. Nope. <laughs> I love no, that you're the cynical so, one. So here's the thing. Yes, there's <laughs> lots of really good technology. And we're at least uh, admitting that there are better ways to authenticate. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are so many different devices in so many different places that we will continue to see it. Hell, it only was last year that we had proper account lockout policies for RDP. Sure. And RDP was one of the major attack vectors for ransomware, right? Oh, yeah. And and we're we're just seeing that being implemented into modern OSs. We don't see it happening on the older stuff that's you know still in play. Well, I I feel the same way about stuff like SMB, right? Like we've been trying to kill yes. SMB one for forever, but everybody's got at least one device is still. But then you start to put that into a box. Like I think we're going. I, I think we are getting better in the sense of our most important services are getting better security around. They're not just depending on a password. They are using multi-factor and, and generally being better protected. But there's always going to be orphans. You're never going to get them all. Well, and we get the problem is, is that as you implement new types of authentication mechanisms, there is new complexity for developers yeah. as well as ops to understand how that works. And what it, so a good example is things like OAuth 2 being implemented for lots of uh, trust chains as it relates to a lot of web apps right. and, and, and modern um, uh, desktop apps that are leveraging things like APIs and everything else that are out there. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is still so new and there's still so many things that can go wrong that we're seeing these frail, brittle edges that uh, people just don't know about. And if what happens when people are fearful or don't know about it, they won't implement it properly or They'll abdicate responsibility to someone else. And that's how companies like, you know, Okta came about, right? And, yeah. and it's like they they like it's just like, well, we'll just we'll just offload our, our authentication elsewhere. On I mean, on the other hand, don't roll your own authentication. Like don't. Oh, absolutely. Just don't. No. <laughs> that's not a good idea. But 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 I, I sometimes say like like when you're investing in uh, the operating systems that you have for your devices as well as your servers, it's like there is a lot of built-in security that just doesn't get leveraged, doesn't get used properly, right? Never gets turned on. Never gets turned on, or people don't understand it. Like so, yeah. as an example, is like when we're talking about apps that we may or may not trust. Windows has had since Windows 10 sandbox, right? Windows sandbox. And the idea there is it's just a, a limited virtual version of the operating system, mostly for Windows 11. But um, people are like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. If I think I have something that's that I don't know I'm going to run, I'm just going to run it in the sandbox. And it's like, okay, nice. It'll prevent you from polluting your main base. But guess what? That still has the same network access. So if that's a worm that's on that thing, you just infected your network just as well. Right. You know, you're probably better off running in Hyper-V or VirtualBox or something like that and disabling the network and seeing what's there or using some service like, you know, um, Run Anywhere and, and looking at it little more suspiciously. But people don't think like that. And when we think about a lot of attacks that are happening in organizations, it's not always the IT people that are at fault for this. It's going to be some user that doesn't know any better. And that's what we should be defending against. And 
Well, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah, but the the be more careful tactic isn't a great solution either, right? Like the, I'm I'm empathetic to the fact that people occasionally click long, including sysadmins. Like everybody makes mistakes. It's just a question of Absolutely. what happens next. One of the things that came up in the past hundred shows, actually pretty recently, with a conversation with Sammy Leho, you know, one of your peers and my and one of my another favorite of mine was, is, hey, you know what the main exploit is now? It's no longer. The, the fish, because MFAs has helped enough that it's pushed it down the list now, or now it's unpatched servers. And we ended up yep. in this conversation about, oh, man, is the time you're taking to test a patch so it doesn't cause an outage creating a higher risk than the risk of the outage of just immediately deploying the patch? Yeah. Like that, that's an interesting problem space we're in. It. And, one, and also, I'd say, and a win that we're actually, that's now made it to the top because the other issues are being better addressed. Yeah. And I think what you get is it's trying to balance usability and uh, expectation of what people's knowledge skills are. Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm now speaking on myself, not on behalf of Microsoft or anybody inside there. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, years ago, there was a really interesting server product called Small Business Server. I remember. SBS, and, we did a bunch of shows on it. Yeah, you know, like it had a lot of opportunities to allow small businesses to have a lot of the IT capabilities of of enterprise, right? So, like, here was a server that had um, SharePoint on it. It had Exchange on it. It had something called uh, Remote Web uh, Workplace, which was right. this beautiful web interface that allowed you to get access to um, the the apps and 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 um, uh, content you needed. And it it had a lot of benefits going for it. But it also was like the epitome of everything you're not supposed to do in IT, right? Like you, you have a SQL server and a SharePoint server right. and Exchange server all on one box. That's also the domain controller. And there, there's lots of things you could say, well, you're not you know, isolating and separating services. And there's, and we, could, we could go in deep into that kind of stuff. But it solved the real niche on there. Yeah. Until we started seeing that there was a lot of people that didn't know actually how to, the stuff worked under the hood. So Exchange was becoming faulty and becoming a risk. They were leaking data with SharePoint and there was all these other things are going on there. And I would guess that at some point Microsoft said, you know, this isn't this isn't sustainable. We can't manage this and maintain this. Um, you know, it would be better off if we offloaded the expertise for those type of services into a cloud service and then find a way to bridge it in there. And then that's kind of like how Windows Essential Service came in and the ability to try to link it to Office 365 at the time. And and there was so much resistance oh, from yeah. the IT people well, the, that I think were the, SPS lovers, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and I had regular interviews with folks who made their living maintaining a dozen SPS sites for customers. Like that was their yeah. business for a long time. And Logically, they should evolve into cloud operators, although I don't know that Microsoft's done a good job of making that easy for someone to be the maintenance person for a small right. business that way. And they certainly didn't build a bridge. Like, there was a big gap between Essentials and M365. Like, yeah, and then, absolutely. And then when I think back to the Hafnium exploits, which actually you know predate 800, but that was the sort of nail in the coffin in my mind. All those old servers that were paid for, you know, you can think of small, plenty of small businesses bought SBS and when they stopped yep. making updates for it, they're like, well, whatever it works. And they became this incredible exploit vector yep. with, with Hafnium that just became a crisis. Yeah. And you think of it like the latest exchange server volumes and everything that's on there. It's like those people wouldn't have understood things like, you know, deprecating basic auth and then using different types of auth mechanisms. Yeah. And it's like, I, you can see where Microsoft made a couple of really good choices there on trying to do it. But at the same time, 
there's still tons and tons of exchange servers out there that need to be managed, maintained, patched, right? And really turned I, off. I think up right? to just recently, you just turned your exchange server off. And yeah, mine's been off for a while, but now now those those servers have been e-wasted, so they are truly there gone. Go. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm finally over. Hey, we could easily make this an all security show. I do want to talk about a few of the other things that have happened in the time span. Uh, Absolutely. The, you know, the, uh, and a lot of them, I think, are post-pandemic effects. You know, again, this time span is from late 2021 to now. And uh, so, I mean, the pandemic was over in late 2021, but it was well on its way to winding down. And the fallout of what happened to that uh, to our organizations, pushing everything out and so forth. But I also saw it happen to Microsoft. And I'm talking specifically about Viva. Mm. My first shows about Viva are in this time window. And to me, these are products that Microsoft ended up making internally to manage yeah. a, a almost entirely remote workforce and now decided to productize as well. Yeah. Well, and you, you think about it, it's like... Once we were in the pandemic and there was so many people working remote, you know, was, mm -hmm. besides this, the standard communication chat, like let's think about teams before the pandemic and teams after just right. that in itself. Right. And the aspect of having a way to communicate from any device to to a shared collaborative place on there. But now you're needing to deal with onboarding and offboarding devices that maybe not, aren't part of the corporation. And the fact that, you know, people are working from home on all kinds of devices and, you know, how do you manage all that? And so Viva, yeah, that, that I, I honestly do, myself haven't spent a lot of time using it. But what I've seen of it and what I looked at it, it was like, well, we've had these type of solutions beforehand, right? right. There's been tons of of management tools. So this is Microsoft's first, you know, uh, approach of getting in there and and trying to make it usable. Um, but what I found I thought was interesting was that as we came out of the pandemic and people started thinking about going back to work. All of a sudden, a discussion of what's the value of Viva was changing. And it's like, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't. Like, it doesn't matter where these people end up having their desk, right? Yeah. Um, or their devices. But it started, it's just that interesting. Is like, we jump to the pain that we have at the current moment. And Microsoft's no different than any other company. And that was a huge pain for them. Think of how many thousands of people at any one time needed on a, in the different teams needed to be able to onboard and offboard it and think how many hires actually uh, not just microsoft but like all the major tech players at the time and then just recently all the people they had to let go it's like there's just so much um when it comes to it for onboarding and offboarding that i don't think people think about automate sure. make cleaner make easier um and uh, I don't know. That's it to me. It's it's. Uh, I think there needs to be more investment in this type of thing, especially bridging it to not just um, data management as it relates to the personnel and that, but it's the uh, if we treat data people and their devices separately, but all heterogeneously together. Now there's just so much more visibility into devices that we don't actually have authority to touch. Right. A number of times I've had this conversation with an organization where it's like, we're, you know, we're trying to figure out how to put what we should put on their phones, what we shouldn't. It's like, you know, for this pain, just give them another phone. Yeah. Like, is, is the right answer to have a corporate device you send to that, that employee's home? So it is always a company device. Yeah. Just because it's not, the equipment's not that expensive, but managing a split use device is. 
Well, and you got to have employees that want to trust that, right? And so, like, if you're a new employee that has your own iPad, as an example, right. and you're being told you have to install all this stuff on it, like, how is that going to make you feel, right? Like, like, yeah, no, I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's way better to have a box delivered to the house that says, "This is the work machine. Do your work there. Yeah. Do your stuff on your own machine." They, there was yeah. an excuse during the pandemic crisis of we don't have enough machines or you know, use what you've got, that kind of thing. But I think ultimately, because hardware is commodity and relatively inexpensive, just separate the workloads. It's not worth it. It's, and, and, and strongly encourage your employees, use the work machine for work stuff. Don't, don't put your work email on your personal device. Like It's just not good for anybody. I think I think the trick that you get to though, and it's and, 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 like I 100% agree with you, and actually I prefer that over anything else, is people that are shackled to their devices, yeah, because of their role and their lack of privacy that they start getting into, right? Like anytime I think about uh, RMM tools of any kind or any endpoint management, I always worry about, hmm, so they know where I am at all times. They have the ability to turn on my my mic and my camera. They can do these things because they have complete control underneath the hood to the device. Yep. In those scenarios, what does that mean to me personally, right? So like I would never take a, a work device into the bedroom, right? I would never take a work device out of my work bag except when I need it, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And, and and it's like, yes, I'm more paranoid than most people. And, but I also, as someone who, you know, ran teams that built those type of things, I, I have to consider the reality of just how much control that is done on those devices, which we should have for a corporate device. Yes, without a doubt. Right. Like like we should know where 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 that device is at all times, because geofencing might require that for certain things. Sure. Um, but on the flip side of it, not everyone wants to be carrying two phones. And, no. you know, but there's a balance of. But the but I argue the alternative is worse. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And right. I just the, the upside, to, the upside to having a work phone and a personal phone is you can turn the work phone off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other side, too, is that deprovisioning might just simply be disable the device and just assume you're never going to get it back, right? Like that. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. You know? Right? The hardware's not a big deal. Dana, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. Have you noticed that for the past two years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common? It's employees. Sometimes an employee's device gets hacked because of unpatched software. Sometimes an employee leaves sensitive data in an unsecured place. And it seems like every day a hacker breaks in using credentials they fished from an employee. The problem here isn't your end users. It's the solutions that are supposed to prevent these breaches. But it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, fished credentials are useless to hackers. And you can manage every operating system, even Linux from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and they ensure that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash runasradio to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash runasradio. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. It's episode 900, and I'm chatting with my friend Dana Epp a bit about the last 100 shows and the, the various topics that we got into. Um, I'm not going to go off the subject we were already on because it has this edge of corporate surveillance. I mean, listen, it's sysadmins listening. We've both done the admin job, especially on the security side. I've done enough work in exchange where it's like, 
If there's harassment going on inside of the workplace via email, we have a responsibility to know. We have a liability if we don't know. You know, presume your work email is being read by others. Get over it. That's yeah. reality. And unfortunately, it's us. And I think there's been a there's always been a culture in IT of we're very respectful of the fact that we have to observe because we do have to deal with that sort of thing. Like you don't talk about people when that comes up. I think a lot of the new Viva technology, all of that stuff was about it's even harder to have a warm face over the necessary amount of surveillance when people are all remote. So turning it into algorithms was a way to make it even more friendly. But tied into that, Snover, who did 800 with me, and he had la- he was not the PowerShell guy anymore. He was working for the um, substrate for the M365 team. And he talked about the reality that when you're using M365, when your organization uses it, it does have all the inform- all of the emails, all of the collaboration through Teams, all of the documents, everything's there. And that's valuable to the company. Like that is literally the company knowledge. The problem is it's incredibly hard to surface that information without being creepy. Yeah. Like it, you immediately fall into this, hey, your corporate surveillance overlords are, have, have realized you're working on something that Bob's working on, like that kind of thing, right? And Delve had that problem. Well, and- but even then, two years, you know, that's two years ago, he was saying, like, there's going to be machine learning models that will make this possible. And here we are today, M365 Copilot. Yeah. Yeah, well, we has <laughs> its own things in there. You know, do you know what I find funny is is the amount of companies that are trying to leverage AI in ways to be able to like, hey, performance management, we can take a look at all the data that's in in there and be able to tell you how performant your people are being. And it's like, you know, that's not how humans work, right? No. Like, and and there there are so many data points that may or may not actually properly visually show that. So I know during the pandemic there was a couple of companies um, that were were really trying to tout the fact that they could tell they could tell you if your staff were working or not. And it's like, yeah, come on, let's let's get well, going to install an agent on their machine and we'll be able to tell you if the mouse is moving. It's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, that's like, pretty like, dumb. Like for. First off, if you can't trust your people, there's a bigger issue. Like there's certain things that there is performance management tools and technologies that are not creepy and those are better. And long as it's honest and clear to everybody what its purpose is and what why it's there, then there's the discussion point if that's reasonable or not. But when you start saying like, I'm going to apply machine learning to all the data points that we have in here, um, it gets kind of weird in some ways. Um, but in others, it's great. Like, you know, like there's technologies that I've, I've always thought were so undervalued that, that like meetings is an example, you know, in teams, having the ability to auto transcribe and link everything together based off of what happened in there. That has some real value because if you weren't at that meeting, you could get that summary in the team's collab info and, and, and have links off to everything you need to. And that, Hey, you know what? That's, reasonable and an interesting way to apply the technology. Well, and this is where the co-pilot can come into play from the work perspective too, is you ch- you go, you turn the thing on its head. Now that you have a chat bot, the fact that you describe your work goal for the day to the chat bot, if it can turn around and say, Hey, that work's already been done over here. Like that's actually a service. And it's also something you used to do anyway. When you were in the office, you might've gone to the office manager or the reception. Like there's always somebody in the know yeah. And you'd say, oh, I'm working on this thing. And it's like, you know, you should talk to so-and-so because I think they're working on the same thing. 
Can we find a software way to do that? Well, because we're distributed, to surface that information in a way that that it, people will value the idea that's like, oh man, I got to do this, and so, and the, and the tools able to say, here's an easier way to do it. Like that feels like a service and a way to present that information in, in a non, you know, corporate surveillance model. Well, and it, but but then you you start wondering like, how do you even properly safeguard that? So let's say you have two different teams working on similar things, but their right. goals or motivations are different, and all of a sudden the A model goes and says, "Hey, I'm noticing that this X Y Z thing that you're trying to do, this team over here is doing, and if there wasn't properly." Uh, security controls on that, the next thing you know, you're leaking information that may or may not be on there. Like, like you know, to put this in a practical context, that was exactly how Snowden built Heartbeat inside um, the NSA, right? Was right. to find all this data. And now all of a sudden there was potential leakage across uh, departments and divisions and and secured networks, right? And so, so now you p- apply that to a corporate uh, area and they're when everyone has the same level of trust and and there's certain levels of, of roles of responsibility, that's one thing. But when you get in massive size companies like the size of Microsoft, can you imagine that scenario? Like sure, like you know. And if and you and I'm laughing because like literally th- what three four weeks ago I did a show with Carolina Kedikuri. We we're talking about getting ready for for M365 Copilot, and like number yeah. one on the list is tag your data, man. <laughs> like. Yeah. What you what the biggest thing this tool is going to do is show you where you haven't secured things properly because it's going it, every all the data that's untagged is going to be surfaced the same way and if it should have been tagged, yeah. you're going to be very unhappy. And that's where DLP solutions and everything will be in there. Well, but the, the good news is is that there is a ton of uh, security controls that are going into M365 that if applied will then all of a sudden filter that and alert you in advance of edge cases where things could leak in that. Yeah. And they're only basing that based off of their own experiences as they've been building that out. Is it perfect? No, I think we have so much to learn. I think this is a great place for IT to start getting into when thinking about how to tag your data, how to manage uh, um, tooling that can support that and and scanning for it. Because like, I don't even think a lot of well, corporations even think about things like uh, DLP and 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 how to manage it all. Um, data loss prevention, yeah. DLP being data loss prevention. Yeah, and and being able to use tagging to track some of that, right? Sure. And, and 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 where to put it, like where data crosses trust boundaries and and different integrity levels, depending on what we're talking about, right? I I also wonder, you know, Purview's the new hot product in that space on the Microsoft side. I just yeah. I I also I feel like folks are they throw up their hands on DLP. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, this is an impossible problem. What am I supposed to do? Fill every USB slot with epoxy, which I've seen folks do. <laughs> but it's but it, but it's like, hey, if you actually spend some time in purview, you, you'll, be, you'll be impressed. It's funny because um, years ago, many years ago, as an, M, as an MVP, I've been advocating for things like um, Azure AD logs should not be a... Um, paid for service. Right. right. And with all the stuff that happened in the last year as it relates to uh, uh, access into government tenants and a bunch of other things, all of a sudden it's like now the purview logs are now going to get exposed in a in in a way that 
people can take advantage of that. And it's like all of a sudden you're like, what's this purview? Like a lot of people didn't even know it existed, yeah. right? And they didn't know all the capabilities. Because there were there were data loss prevention technologies before that. And I think this is part of the yep. problem is they Microsoft keeps twitching on how to evolve this into something that was more usable. And so the existing customers struggled because the old product changed so much. And the new customers are like, oh, look at this thing. It's huge. Well, this is where things like, and I, got, I guess I, I still can't get used to using the new naming convention, but I'll just keep calling it Azure AD because that's just who I am. Yep. Um, but uh, the reality is, is that when you use an identity backplane like that, and then you have all the different services and a single set of DLP policies that will work across all of them, all of a sudden that means your OneDrive, your SharePoint, your Teams, everything actually can follow a set of policy. And that's interesting because years ago, that was never the case. You had individual policies for each one of those yeah. services, which was a headache and it was just impossible. That's why they're, they're, they're a huge enterprise um, policy company building tooling for all that stuff but now it's built in and if you have purview then you, you've got visibility into a lot of that stuff it may it does speak to we're starting to make this more manageable yes and i think you get the benefit of because microsoft uses its own deep learning models to look at what is considered good behavior versus suspect behavior mm -hmm. they'll be able to create not just policies but rule sets for looking for indicators of compromise. So now all of a sudden when you're thinking about how could something be abused, well, if you're properly got these DLP policies in place and you got the right tagging in places, you have the right resources separated and managed in a certain, now it starts to get interesting. Mm -hmm. But where it starts to fall down for me is the fact that then we keep trying to stuff everything in the Microsoft graph. And then all of a sudden there, there's an entirely different model on how are we accessing data points that are there. So data points that we see through your traditional access go away if all of a sudden I can just query the graph to get to the same info. Yeah. Right Now luckily that's still backed by the same identity plane. So theoretically that's not always going to be the case. As long as the teams when they're making their graph endpoints are honoring and trusting those policies, we're in a better place to go. Yeah. Um, not there yet, but it's there a lot of times. And I think it's now one of those first things that's like they're, they're thinking graph first and then they're thinking about how do we expose that in a useful way? And then they leverage the graph themselves to access that data, right? So yeah. A and it's Entra is the new name for better or worse. Yeah, I <laughs> just, I, I'm, I, I don't know the 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 backstory to that enough to be able to talk about if that's good or bad. But uh, I mean, let's face it. My, Microsoft has a legacy of identity that I don't envy having to manage. Right. I, I actually was speaking to a CVP as I'm occasionally get away with doing. I said, am I wrong? Is, is identity the third rail at Microsoft for a career? Like, I think I've, I've met some really great people who kind of dash themselves on trying to fix the problems that exist in a legacy of hundreds of millions, if not billions of accounts across so many different systems. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's, it, it's an exciting challenge and it's one of those things that. <laughs> it's so corporate, Dana, my it, goodness. <laughs> but it is, right? Like I would never want to do it, but my, my buddy, see, like, you know, you know, someone you need to get on your show one of these mm. days, Steve Seifus. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you can get him to be allowed to talk, you should get him on to talk about identity. That's always the problem is what can he talk about because, yeah, right. he's, but, he's but, seen but, some stuff. 
Oh, he has. And but but what's funny is is, is you know working alongside of him and seeing the pains that we went through when we were building a lot of identity related stuff. It, one of the things that I I always find interesting is it's the things you don't know on yeah. why decisions were made and how things are run. And then Microsoft has the unfortunate reality that they have to stay backwards compatible for so long. Yes. So like you know earlier you were talking about like well SMB one is there like why didn't we just turn take that tech out? Well you can't like there's yeah. just it impacts so many things yeah, and yeah. you know. They know it's not what they want as their defaults, but there's a reality of, of you know, just yeah, what having supportive. to drag people kicking and screaming, right? <laughs> so things like Kerberos or, uh, and NTLM and everything like that, just so much headaches and that kind of stuff. Hey, coming in the last so, few minutes of uh, of this show, I'm a little more future looking here. Obviously, Copilot we've already brought up. Yeah. Uh, they talked about security Copilot for a little while, but we haven't heard a lot about from it. But I... Oh, this is overarching idea of because we're all generalists as admins these days, and we need to know so much. The idea that yeah. we could get tools that would help us to navigate the various roles we are ultimately dependent, you know, responsible for. Whether the, the security one's an easy one, at least you know, going down that top ten and dealing with those core issues is one thing. But I'll, you know, also. Bill, you know, I'd love to see an onboarding, offboarding co-pilot, like just yeah. get, helping you to, or, you know, think super wizard essentially, but it's like these specialized toolings that'll help us to build a, that you, you'll never become expert in because you do them so rarely, you know, building up an onboarding process, you know, most, I think most teams only ever do it once or twice ever. Yeah. Well, I think when you think about it from an IT perspective, and I, I, I mentioned this term, I don't know if it's a real term or not, but just like aspect of AI ops, right? Like mm -hmm. running operations with, with AI as an assistant, not as the doer of everything. Yeah. But one of the things I think that we can start seeing is um, we see this with things like in the security side, easy, it's easy to point it out, but things like secure score and the AI model behind it that is helping you to say, here's technology that can reduce your risk to this level right. based off of what we see that your tenant is doing. That's very valuable and, and it helps people that aren't security people to start seeing uh, things that can you can use and the technical safeguards that you can apply. And in many cases, hopefully, it's linking out to more knowledge. Now, imagine if there was a fix-it button that's part of the AI model yeah. that says, based on everything I see there, I should be able to fix that for you. You just need to, as a human, tell me to do it, right? Yeah. Like, just click here, whatever. I, I wouldn't mind if you reviewed it a little too, maybe even passed it by someone else, but it's like the button yeah. is here. Just don't click it randomly. So what I would love to see, I'm not going to say this will happen, but like if I was a PM inside of Microsoft and I was like, hey, here's some ideas we could do. Windows 11 has always had access to things like controlled folders, right? right. And no one ever uses it. And I'm not, I'm not saying not no one, but it's it, not a lot of people know because they, they're like scared that they'll break their apps and there's all this stuff. And it's like, well, but you, always the problem. Yeah. You can run it in an audit mode. Imagine if the AI was able to look and say, I see non-standard directories on these servers. And I notice that they have files that are being touched and manipulated. I can see what application, which processes are touching them. Let's turn uh, controlled folder access on in audit mode and track that for a bit and then come up with a report to give the IT person and saying, you can run controlled fo um, uh, folders here in this way, if you click here, I'll enable it. And then all of a sudden, what you've done is you've allowed the AI to generate 
uh, create basically process automation for something as simple as I need to use this capability or this feature set that's in the operating system to help safeguard the data. And you may not be an expert in it, but I can tell you based off of these trends, this is what we see and we think this is a reasonable policy. What do you think? And now they can go and look at it and decide, no, not quite, or I don't know enough about this. I need to go research it. Unfortunately, the other side of that is it depends on how it's based, right? If the model is based off of traffic that is already um, suspicious, then maybe it's not going to have the right thing. So it's it's not perfect, right? But but this is where Microsoft's access to big data, like the I don't care what anyone talks about when they're talking about AI. It's only as good as how many data points are being actually trained in the model and how much data you have to that can make that successful. So a lot of small businesses and even medium-sized businesses won't have enough data points to know. But when you can use anonymously um, the data across multiple tenants on how does it normally look, Mm -hmm. what's reasonable, there's patterns. And those patterns could be then fed in to the model to try to make it better. And now all of a sudden you could be looking at all these different technologies that are built in the operating system that are built on top of that on the apps and start being able to give them recommendations that are reasonable. And now all of a sudden you're, what you're doing is you're you're applying reasonable controls to reduce it to a reasonable level. And this is what I think when we think about IT at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that people can do their job. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. They need to be able to do it safely. They need to know that that it is trusted. So this is where it comes back to like the CIA triad, right? You have confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to IT, this is an important aspect of everything we do. So when we're trying to pick what applications we want to use, when we talk about how the data is going to be managed, how people will access that data, who are these people and from what devices, all of those decisions start coming into play in a way that AI actually can help. It could actually look at trends, look at how apps are being used, and then give reasonable recommendations based off of what we know around the world, plus what we know individually in that tenant or that business or that whatever it is. Um, I wonder if that'll be propagated, that kind of thing could be propagated into like file storage. You know, just uh, most companies end up sticking stuff all over the place. Like they don't have a good indexing and organization of information. SharePoint gets out of control. Goodness knows those Teams file stuff gets out of control. You got an old file server, that kind of thing. The idea that we could have a tool that you could point at it and it could help you reorganize it or like more to your point about what's normal. It's like knowing that Microsoft has a view of how people store data all over the world to say, give you a score on how organized your data is, and then also a tool to say, hey, we can help you organize it better. That, yeah. to me, seems really interesting for us doing our jobs better long term, that we, we, we'll we get some norms. Especially when we get in this hybrid world. Yeah, when you got people that are you know working from home, they're working at the office, and, and it's like, what's, where are they storing that? Like, how many times have we heard of people that had installed Dropbox on their laptops, and then all of a sudden, corporate data is sitting on a Dropbox folder we didn't know about, and then that Dropbox is shared, right? Like, like those are simple examples of when data starts leaking outside of our visibility. Right. But when you have things like uh, Microsoft Defender on Endpoint, right? And so all of a sudden, you could put a rule in there that says, on that machine, I want you to show 
every single data right where it's going to, what service, what folder, right? So all of a sudden you have a Google Drive that it just happens to be synced up with Google Drive, but it's a folder on that system. Well, that could be a controlled access folder. And now all of a sudden you can manage what can write there or, or at least be alerted and say, hey, have you talked to this person about, are they backing that up? Is that corporate data or is that personal data? Like, like, like there's all these conversations that all of a sudden can be have that they don't have visibility in by default. And that's where I think AI can really help because it, 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 is, it doesn't care. It'll just go and it'll bring back the data and say, here's what we see. Here's what's anomalous. And what do we do about it? Absolutely. Well, my friend, uh, thanks so much for coming on to do this with me. It's uh, always it's always a lot of fun chatting with you. And suddenly, you know, we're 900 episodes down. I, I don't know how much longer I do this for. I'm getting old. Hey, if you do a 1,000, we're going to get a bottle of champagne and nice. we'll do this physically. I think that's only, you know, that's uh, Two years. Yeah, 104 weeks from now. or, or <laughs> it's, a, it's 100 episodes from now. So, you know, that's 100 weeks from now, 700 days. That's like September of 2025. I think it's an excuse for us to get together. So hey. <laughs> Sounds like a party for sure. Well, so we did because because the show comes out the beginning of September. So that means we could have an August party somewhere. There you go. And record episode 1,000 and we'll put it to bed. Uh, Dana, thanks so much for coming and doing this with me. Always a pleasure, my friend. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.